0: Kitchen is the magical place where everything happens—the alchemy of food and the human interaction. It is the most visited place in every household. Every single conversation of love, of life, of family revolves pretty much around the kitchen counter at dinner table. Transperv kitchen is a substream of the popular transgender point of view on Joy ninety four point nine, hosted by Anastasia Lee, a passionate cook and a food scientist. These pop into our kitchen to listen to some humor swapping for a few recipe ideas some tips and tricks or just simply having a company when you cook in solidarity welcome to another episode of trans POV kitchen on joy 94.9 and this Anastasia so this episode is very special to me because um it will be released on Vietnamese New Year 2019 which would take place on the 2nd and the 3rd of February, in the room today with me, I have a friend of mine and a special guest, Matthew Lanciana. Matthew, how are you today? Good, thank you, Anna. Thanks for
1: inviting me on, first of all. I'm doing well. We're surviving the heatwave in Melbourne. Yes. Um, don't know how you're feeling about it, but uh, we're getting there. You look pretty we're good yeah,
0: for walking in the heat. And then, yeah. Today, Matthew, I'm... Um, Please tell the audience a bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, so I'm Melbourne born and bred. Mm -hmm. Um, Went to uni, I've worked in the corporate world, uh, but more importantly, I've travelled most of the world, enough of the world. And so, you know, I'm really interested in in culture and seeing things that we might not see outside of, inside of Melbourne. Mm -hmm. You know, we're kind of in a bubble here and everything's great. And uh, so recently, travelling has allowed me to see my purpose in this world, and that is to help people worse off than us because Mm -hmm. things are quite good in Melbourne and that's fantastic. But um, yeah, recently my my purpose has become clear and and that's helping people and um, that's kind of how I came in contact with yourself.
0: Mm. Interesting. When you say that, you know, in Melbourne we live in a bubble, I have to say in the past decade, I've been here for a bit longer than 10 years, um, Melbourne has grown a lot. Multiculturally and every single day... Perhaps it's because of my own personal journey as well. But every single day, it feels like Melbourne is getting more colourful. So what did you mean by we live in a bubble?
1: Well, what I mean is that, you know, we live a good life for the most part in Melbourne. I know there's people not as well off as us, but we have everything available here. The Mm. education, the health, all the opportunities, and that's great that's fantastic, but it's not really until you travel that you realise that we are the exception, Mm. we're the lucky ones, and you realise that everything we take for granted here is um, very really the case in other parts of the world. So, yeah, I mean, it's great here, everything's great, we're growing, we're very multicultural, but unless you've travelled, you really haven't got a real appreciation for how Mm. good we have it in Melbourne.
0: So, technically, we have grown capitally, not... Exactly, you know, um, emotionally, and I suppose
1: um, humanly. I, I, I think, I think the point that I'm trying to make is that um, unless you have travelled, you don't realise that the opportunities that we have uh, are not common all around the world, mm. and um, and that's a great thing. That's a great thing that we have that here. Yeah. Um, and you know, we we owe that to the multiculturalism and um, the growth, mm. but also we have to be thankful that. Um, Everything is within uh, our grasp, you know.
0: Mm. Very interesting because I'm quite sure politicians they have travelled the world, and apparently they can't see what Matthew has seen. Um. I think sometimes (laughs) they have to say what we want to hear as well, and it's
1: uh, it's not easy to change. Change doesn't come quickly, you know. But politicians are only worried
0: about Melbourne; they're not worried about
1: other parts. So,
0: Mm. Mm. yes. Oh well. So, since you you are Melbourne-born and raised. Can you tell me more about you know, your family dynamic and what sort of childhood were you grow, growing up in?
1: So my father's side is Italian um, and came here, well I'd say straight after World War II, um, mm-hmm. seeking greener pastures. My mum's side has an English background, so they did the same thing around the same time. So I have a mix of cultures, um, Italian and Aussie slash English. Um, so yeah, I was brought up in the western suburbs of Melbourne Um, had a good childhood, lots of fun, um, lots of love, everything was great. And, uh, I'm kind of glad that I have, uh, two different sort of cultures from when I was growing up, two Mm. different ways of life, two different viewpoints. Um, so yeah, everything, every, I had a really good childhood Mm -hmm. and I think that's also what has spurred me onto the, um, the charitable side,
0: Mm. um. Well, so can you please elaborate on that? Um, when you say, because honestly, I'm, I'm, I think I can be quite ignorant sometimes. And when you say Italian and Aussie British, for me, they're just Caucasian culture. So
1: <laughs> we all look the same, is that right? Well, yeah, is like, that what you're like, trying well, to say?
0: <laughs> <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that for me, being Asian and coming from yes. Southeast Asia, yes. of course, I wouldn't. I have been here for like uh, just over a decade, mm. which you know I technically just started leaving the, for the past three. So yeah. I don't really know much about the differences that other Caucasian cultures may have. I think I think Italian is very closely
1: aligned with some of the Asian cultures, whereas um, meaning that uh, you know everything revolves around the dinner table first of all.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you have a real pigeon.
1: clear hierarchy in the family. Um, The Australian side is awesome because it's a very casual family structure, you know, Mm. and I think that imitates the way that we go back things in Melbourne. We don't really have a power structure here. Everybody's sort of on the same level as opposed to some other countries where I've worked overseas where there's clear hierarchy within the, the society. So... Yeah, they, they, they are different. They do have their nuances and I'm, mm. I guess that, yeah, it is difficult from an outsider to see what the difference is. Yeah, I, I guess Italian, like, like Asian culture, is a very old culture. You know, they have their histories, they have their cuisines, they have their customs that do differ from just about every other country. Mm. Um, but on my Aussie slash English side, we have a really casual culture, which I, re- I really enjoy personally. Um, so, yeah, they both, they both came together and thankful that I'm half-half.
0: Okay. Very interesting. And, you know, what sort of food would you have? Or, and how was dinner set up for you back then? Even until now?
1: Yeah, I mean, our, our immediate household was probably more of the Australian side. But I know, for example, on the Italian side, everything revolves around the dinner table. Mm. And it's definitely, well, in my side, there's a matriarch. She runs the whole family.
0: Yeah, sounds like the uh, Vietnamese culture Yeah, thing.
1: so, uh, which is amazing But, you know, we when we would gather together Everything's revolved around the dinner table and the food And that's where the conversations happen And that's where the memories happen um, So I, I really enjoy that
0: mm-hmm.
1: And uh, I think that's just a part of some cultures, you know Some cultures are um, based around food and i think that's awesome
0: and i think civilization really started around food and making of food really you know from the fire yeah so very interesting so do you say that it's like a matriarch uh, like a matriarchal system your household because it reminds me of vietnam so where yeah, you know it's like yeah. the female runs the mes- domestic scene and the it female is. looks after the finance in the household. But then, however, like when that family w- or when a family sort of socializes, it always appears that the male would be the one who brings the bread home, which I is not often the case.
1: How it would have worked is that the male would have worked, and the female would have had the kids. But a bigger family, you know, what, mm. you know what families are like outside of Australia—they're big families, yes, not one child; they're six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. So you know, yes, uh, on the surface it would p- appear that the the dad or the granddad has brought in the money which is equal as important as the mother raising the kids but I think she allows him to have the final say Mm. which is nice of her but I think yeah every every conversation and every argument will eventually go up the chain Mm. to the grandmother or the mother
0: Mm -hmm. and she
1: will make her decision and then that's final yeah, and you will move on to something else. And uh, yeah, I, look, I have lived in Asia, as you know. I worked in Asia. Um, no, and I, I
0: don't really know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you
1: can ask me about it. But okay. yeah, it's it's a similar culture in that um, definitely the mother mm. is um, runs the family.
0: So wait, where did you live in Asia?
1: So in 2009, I did a sem- I did a semester abroad, and I I wanted to go to the most. Wild place that I could go for the experience. So I actually went to Borneo, which is below mm. like Malaysia, Thailand. It's actually where orangutans are from. Yeah. I didn't know anything about it, but I thought, let's just go. Yeah. And I uh, spent eight, seven, eight months there. Then after uni finished, I moved to Tokyo, uh, Japan, and absolutely loved it. Thought mm. it was amazing. Um, stayed there for about a year. Mm. And then I'm, a couple of years back, I moved to KL, Kuala Lumpur, with an ex partner of mine. Mm. Uh, so mixed in with the travel and the living overseas, I've seen how the cultural, the cultures are different across Asia, but also have similarities, i say.
0: It's very interesting, too, that you were able to observe all these things and sort of take a, a, a grateful approach to the life you have in Australia. That's very admirable because a lot of people can be quite ignorant in that manner, you know? They go, leave overseas, they travel, and that's it. They don't learn from their, from their mm. time overseas. Mm. That's incredible that you've learned something just
1: to cut in i I think it's like traveling to a place and living in a place is totally different Mm. Uh, because when you travel you're not you're staying in hotels and and you're going out for nice meals and you're not really you know there's no consequences you're not really involved that much But when you live somewhere you really have to live the way they live Mm. You're not going to change their culture, so um, if
0: anything, you have to adapt to the culture. Oh, as well. absolutely!
1: You, you, that's you have to adapt to their way of doing things. Not they won't do that for you. Did you struggle? Yeah, like as I said, the the Aussie Aussie culture I say is very um, informal, casual. So understanding all these ancient cultural ways that the Vietnamese family will do something or the Chinese family will do something, and how they refer to each other, and don't just call everyone mate. It has to be explained to you. Yeah. Because it's just not the way we do things here. But I'm there. So I have to do things their way.
0: Yeah, I remember how um, I had to wait until... Because my grandmother used to live with my family. And we had to wait until she arrived to the dinner table. And then we could start, you know, having dinner. And the youngest had to serve rice to the oldest. And, you know, saying, like, you know, thank you to this family. And, yeah, so much memories now um which is amazing so yes and uh, also from your travel overseas you learned about the human side of things and you have recently become a board member of compassion vietnam is that correct
1: yeah so been to vietnam a number of times it's a great place it's an awesome place but it has its problems mm. like a lot of other third world countries things that we would never see here would never ever ever mm. see and mainly around children um, which I'm sure is a real sore point for a lot of people, you know, when it comes down to children, um, you know, we see them as being, they should be protected and after and allowed to be children, but it's not the case for a lot of places around the world. we're Hmm. talking you know billions of people not just tens of thousands so yeah um i'm part of of the board for a a charity called compassion vietnam and in a nutshell what we do is we set up a school and we educate street kids or kids that and kids that come from the poorest of the poor background Hmm. and through the education we then hope to break that cycle of poverty by giving them an education, learning how to read and write, and therefore allowing them more opportunities as they get older. And then what happens is that education will filter down to their kids and grandkids and hopefully break that cycle. And as you would know, in places like Vietnam, it's very easy to fall through the cracks,
0: and it's also very hard to get out of the crack as well. I, yeah,
1: impossible for, for for most families. It is, and, and in,
0: in their case, I think it's actually even given the right amount of education, it would, it would no, not unlikely, but it will be a challenge to have their talents recognised and seen, and even you know entering the workforce. But you know, it's um a, a small step to the right direction as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you, you're, we, we come into contact with kids that have been working since the age of three or four, um, which just is, you know, it, it's mind-boggling to think that's the case. It would never happen here. We also come into contact with kids who are 14, 15, have never learned to read or write. Kids who, you know, are 10 and 12, who have never, ever seen a doctor before, never seen a dentist. So... It is sad stuff, but it's so easy to make a difference with these kids and their families. And just to see them that someone, you know, is giving them their time, someone is making them feel special is another thing. You know, these kids just basically work from the age of three or four. Um, no one ever takes an interest in them. Um, so just to give them also a safe a safe space, you know, and the school is a safe space with our teachers who are uh, like motherly figures in their lives as well. Mm-hmm. So. It's great. It's great stuff, and um, as I said, it's also very eye-opening.
0: So, is this something you observed from having lived um, or having travelled all across Vietnam, or just some particular regions?
1: Well, I think when you travel, you do the tourist. Wherever you go, most people, when they travel, they do the tourist touristy spots because they've mm. got two weeks of holidays. You're not going to go to some rural area and chill out for a month. You've got two weeks, so you know whether you go to Italy or France or Japan or wherever you go. On that two weeks, you're gonna stick to the resorts.
0: I stay away from those things.
1: <laughs> yeah, you do, but you can understand the majority of people they they they're not living in the slums of places. They're mm. they hotels and resorts, and that's that's fine. But I think um, when you move past that and you go into the nitty gritty, that's where you see how the real people live. Mm. Um, so you know, once you see that, it's, it changes you. You know, it changes you and. Yeah, you just you just it just awakens something, and you just want to help these people. But yeah, as as I said, when you when you travel, you you don't see these things. Mm. Um, whereas when you really go there, you open up to how the vast majority of people actually live.
0: And then, so where is this um, center um, located in Saigon? Vietnam? Saigon,
1: uh, I believe, District Eight. Mm. Sorry for my pronunciation there. Probably the worst, worst attempt at Saigon, but
0: no, it actually sounds pretty (laughs) good. Yeah, well, (laughs) she's winking. The 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 reason why I I I just love this because you know you actually pronounce it Saigon. uh, You call it Saigon. Even my family, because we were um, capitalists technically. We support the French and the Americans, Um, so (laughs) we never call it um, Ho Chi Minh City. um, Right, as like most people would know, uh, just call it Saigon. And it's District Eight. I mean. When I was in Vietnam, I think yeah. that area was newly developed. Yeah. But is, still, is it still a ghetto <laughs> in Saigon?
1: Um, yes. In short, it, it, it's definitely not an affluent area. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of slums and there's a lot of makeshift houses and people living in shacks and things that you would never associate people living in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a very undeveloped area. And with a lot of people that have been forgotten about or fall, fell through the cracks, and and a lot of kids living in conditions that you just don't want to even see. Um, so, how how we work in these areas is that we we have people that are known to the community in District Eight, and you know when we talk to the parents of the children to try to um, get them to come to out of school, a lot of the parents are relying on the, the money from the kids. And that's the hard part. It's not that they don't want the kids to go to school, but they genuinely need the couple of dollars that the kids make. So these trusted members of our charity, um, the parents trust them. And that trust is really the basis of the whole charity. Um, you can't just go there and say, look, I'm going to put your kid into a school. If they don't know you, the answers are no. So really the whole thing is based off the trust that we have developed and, and cultivated through the years that allows the parents to say, Okay, we're gonna go without these couple of dollars that the kids would make to put them into school. So yeah, it, it it's uh it is a slum. It is a slum mm. to put it bluntly.
0: And also, and just to add to this, because um, you know I've spent half of my life over there, and I was quite fortunate not living in that condition. If anything, on the contrast of it. However, being having been homeless in Australia for a while, I understand that. It's not just about personal issues where they fall into the crack and say that like they have no choice and what i've learned about being homeless is that the longer you stay homeless the harder it is for you to get out because you don't have any utility to shower to wash yourself Mm. and to make yourself presentable for a job interview yeah and i can imagine like the kind of social discrimination these kids may face even if they go to state school
1: yeah and morale as well you got to think about the morale of people who live on the street you know mm. they, they it goes down mm. the motivation think oh, i can go it, it goes down over time yeah look we face a lot of challenges there's no doubt you know we we're, we're talking about kids that have behavioral issues because they've never been to school before mm. they don't know to sit down for 6 hours and, and learn mm. trust issues you know they don't they're not used to being treated nicely or uh, even acknowledged So to have a teacher there that's, uh, uh, giving them their time is different. Mm. Um, and yeah, we, so we transition the kids to go into a state school. Mm. Um, and through that state school, they can then hopefully go further, whether it's they want to do an apprenticeship or higher study, or even just to learn to read and write, you know, that's a massive difference. So yeah, there are challenges we face, um, but um, we see tangible results. we see we see results um, in all different areas. Um, and yeah it does take a little bit to get the kids into school mode if they've never been to school. But once they once they realize that this is a safe place where I can learn, I can make friends and just be kids, you know like they don't have to work. Mm. you know, they're not lifting things and carrying things they're actually just
0: and risking their lives at the yeah, job absolutely. as well
1: and you know even just giving the kids some crayons yeah. you know what I mean it's just like it changed their whole world so look we do our best and, uh, and uh, look the results that we see are just mind are just amazing so
0: well just um, give us a second um, this is the part one of these because I plan to publish this um, over two days so we will be back shortly tuned and that's it for another episode on Transpervy kitchen on joy 94.9 you can check us out on our facebook page Transpervy kitchen with space in between he's your host anastasia lee and i shall see you over the stove next time ciao